0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pears Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Delicious in its highbrow and lowbrow variations is how today's guest describes the subject of this episode. The cocktail is the Paloma, and our esteemed lecturer is Jack Schramm who came up at New York's Booker & Dax and Nomad Bars, and who eventually led the bar team at the now-closed existing conditions. This being Cocktail College, we're focusing on the highbrow variation referenced at the top there, and let me tell you we're going to reach the highest of altitudes in this episode, both in our exploration of agave spirits and of cocktail techniques. Those familiar with Jack and his former bars won't be surprised to learn that, in exploring one of the world's simplest two-ingredient cocktails, he somehow leads us into such territories as titratable acidity, bricks, or sweetness to you and me, carbonation, and nucleation sites. We'll weigh up different grapefruit varieties and break down juicing apparatus. And we certainly won't overlook the importance of seasoning drinks with salt. You can put a check in the boxes marked juicy, refreshing, and complex with hidden depth because this is the Cocktail College Podcast. And today, listener, estamos tomando palomas. Feeling good? Yeah, kick this off. Feel great. Awesome. Welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College podcast. I'm your host, Tim McCurdy, and today we are joined by Jack Schram. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. Tim, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. It's uh, It's a wonderful, bright, sunny day here in New York, and we're going to chat about a cocktail that is apt for those occasions, though maybe slightly warmer than we're seeing right now. Yeah, I would say definitely warm, but with this amount of sun would yeah. be a perfect time for for this cocktail. And I really wanted to have the I don't know if you remember that kind of late 90s classic song Butterfly playing from the oh, Nasty Jam oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I really absolutely. wanted to have that playing as we were coming in. I don't think mm-hmm. we'll be allowed that with copyright, but listeners, if you can imagine that in your head right now because today's topic is the Paloma. Oh, terrific. Spanish for butterfly, I do believe. I have had Butterfly by Crazy Town on so
1: many bar playlists. It's, <laughs> it's such an unexpected hit on a, like a busy Friday night mm-hmm. when Butterfly by Crazy Town comes on. Mostly because I would get the staff so excited about it because it's so dumb. It's such a bad song. But yeah. That's, it's still a perfect busy Friday, Saturday night. bar playlist
0: very nostalgic for like people of that age group Mm -hmm. um it was at the same time the chili peppers were kicking off in the uk that's when it came over and i was like i always thought i always thought that was a red hot chili Peppers song but could have been so we're gonna we're chatting about yeah the paloma today this tequila cocktail and the first thing that i want to speak about that i find kind of crazy is that Tequila is this incredibly popular spirit among the you know the best selling mm-hmm. spirits in America it's right up there with whiskey specifically bourbon right and and vodka which is you know never yeah. goes out of fashion essentially definitely the most popular spirit in New York bars yeah right mm-hmm. and the margarita being the most iconic tequila cocktail is the, the most you know popular cocktail in the world But beyond the margarita, we really only see the Paloma, right? Like it's so strange.
1: Not so much. There's the, what, like the Mexican firing squad, Mm -hmm. you know, like lime and grenadine, Mm -hmm. but definitely nowhere near as popular. Mm -hmm. And what else? Let's see. There's, uh, I mean, the tequila sunrise, but that it's hard (laughs) to call that a proper cocktail you know, there are ways to make it tastier, but it's still going to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a joke if
0: you put it on a menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's so strange that, that that would be the case. But certainly I do think that for most folks, the other tequila cocktail, right, that has broken into the mainstream somewhat is, is the Paloma. And it's just a wonderful drink. And in certain respects you could look at it and be like is this a wonderful candidate for what we're trying to do with this show because classically or mm. most commonly right it's it's tequila and grapefruit soda ideally mexican yeah uh, i'm i'm hoping we can maybe move beyond that in in today's recording but that is the the most widely recognized version right yeah absolutely
1: i think that that is the the beauty of the paloma is that it's delicious in both its highbrow and its lowbrow variations. Like I love tequila and squirt, mm-hmm. especially if you're finding Mexican squirt that is cane sugar. Yeah. It's like, that's an absolutely delicious one-in-one, mm-hmm. you know, it's up there with the, the gin and tonic yeah. for quality of spirit plus mixer, mm-hmm. but it can also be this transcendent, you know, fresh fruit experience that you're looking for from like the modern cocktail bar. Mm-hmm. So that's,
0: in my mind, the beauty of it is that it can exist in harmony in these two worlds. Mm-hmm. And when you're looking at cocktails yourself from from that bartender point of view, and we'll get into this too, like you've done very experimental stuff and like really utilizing crazy techniques. Do you get excited when you see a drink that is very, you know, widely recognized, but also very simple in its natural form. Like, is that something that you look at and you're like, oh my God, this is cool. We can, we can really play with this. Oh,
1: absolutely. That's the, there's a reason that all the good classic drinks have somewhere between two and four ingredients. Mm -hmm. Like the, the simplicity can often say a lot more than a drink that has, you know, eight, nine, ten ingredients. There are, you know, countless delicious cocktails with a whole bunch of ingredients in them, but they're not necessarily drinks that I'll want to order more than one of in one sitting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can sit down and I shouldn't be having more than two martinis, but it's not out of the question. Same goes right. for daiquiris, <laughs> you know, and margaritas and palomas
0: for that matter. Yeah. And, the Paloma, right, one of those drinks that you can absolutely, like, get started on oh, and yeah. keep going mm-hmm. probably too far before you realize it.
1: Yeah, Especially, like, if you're on a beach mm-hmm. and you've got a good Paloma, if it's a frozen Paloma, maybe, you know, a, a too sweet out of a frozen drink machine, but the sun is beating
0: down and you're, you know, in and out of the ocean, oh, it's ideal. Mm-hmm. So whether you are looking at the kind of the simplest form of it or or, or some mm-hmm. kind of elevated take, What are you looking for specifically when someone hands you a Paloma? What do you want to get from that drink? I want it to tell the story of
1: the place and the experience that I'm having in the place. Like if I sit down at a fancy cocktail bar and they have, you know, Paloma on their menu, you know, in the classic cocktail section, I'm expecting to get, you know, fresh grapefruit juice, fresh lime juice, maybe a blend of tequila and mezcal, uh, really well balanced, you know, enough of an additional sweetener. I don't care if it's simple or agave, I can go either way on this drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in balance, everything is harmonious and delicious, super refreshing. Uh, you know, just that kiss of carbonation from being topped off with soda. And if I'm in a dive bar, I want, you know, a, tequila and grapefruit soda Mm -hmm. that is equally delicious. Or if I'm, you know, on a beach ordering a drink from like
0: a hut somewhere, (laughs) I I would love to have, uh, you know, tequila and squirt. And talk about one of those almost like fail safe orders when you are in a dive bar, right? Absolutely. And, more interesting, let's be honest, mm. than a vodka soda, of course, than a gin and soda, and maybe maybe even a gin and tonic. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of that drink. But in terms of if we equate flavor to fruitiness, certainly the Paloma does take that that simple combo dependable to, to a different level, right? Like yeah. you, cannot, you cannot go wrong with this. But this is Cocktail College. We're here to elevate drinks and cocktails. So we're going to focus today mainly on how you might go about taking this to the, to the next level, yeah, how you might absolutely. really dial into it. And let's start with tequila, man. Blanco, Reposado, Añejo, maybe Cristalino. I'd yeah. love to get into the different styles, but let's start with Blanco first because sure. I think, yeah. Because in my
1: mind, it's the only answer for Palomas and Margaritas. Like, yeah. Obviously, there are occasionally exceptions, but in general, if I'm going to make a
0: citrus-forward tequila cocktail, I'm going to reach for a Blanco tequila. hmm now, when it comes to agave aficionados, I think it can be it can become quite a dogmatic field, right? And yeah, you know, I don't want to get too far into additives and whatnot because, on the one mm. hand, you could argue like that some of those things have driven the, the the immense popularity of tequila in here. I'm not a proponent of it, just putting that out there. Yeah. But I will say this: there's different profiles of of blanco tequila, right? You have mm. those those ones that taste maybe more sweeter and a vanilla and yeah. then the others that are more earthy and vegetal, you really taste the agave. Which route are you going down? Um, yeah. So I generally try to
1: avoid the, the vanilla sweeter uh, <laughs> varieties of especially Blanco tequilas. Mm-hmm. Um, what excites me about agave spirits Primarily, and the spirits in general, I would say that the the spirits that excite me the most to drink are ones that exhibit uh, a really strong terroir character, and I think that agave spirits, you know, you get a real sense of taste of place when they're utilizing really good farming practices or harvesting wild agaves. You know, you hope that. It's happening as sustainably as possible because, mm-hmm. the you know, wild agave and essentially the farmed agave populations are just on the verge of collapse because of over farming. Um, I don't really, I'm not necessarily interested in, in aged agave spirits because I think that they hide that character. Yep. And, you know, if I want to add vanilla extract to tequila, I can do it myself. Yeah, you can I add don't, that. The- I don't need someone, <laughs> you know. And, you know, uh, I don't need to drink a tequila that's named after a year yeah. to <laughs> taste vanilla and, you know, some reasonably, you know, Let medium you make quality the there, yeah, agave spirit. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a cat. The, the Ultra Añejos don't interest me. Every once in a while... Like, especially a stirred cocktail with an Añejo tequila can be really exciting. Mm-hmm. And if I want to add, like, a little touch of, like, a, a cinnamon note without, like, you know, literally grating cinnamon or doing a cinnamon syrup, I think that Reposado tequila is a great way to do that. Yep. Uh, or, like, an Ambaranya Cachaca. Mm-hmm. Like, those are the my cinnamon routes without adding cinnamon mm-hmm. to it to a drink specifically.
0: And I think there is this real misconception that when it comes to tequila, like... If you want to sip, you should be going down the aged route. And if you want to oh, use in cocktails, yeah. you should only be going down Blanco or whatever. Because I think some of the finest Blanco tequilas that I taste every year, those are the ones that offer the most complexity. We're Absolutely. Like floral, mm-hmm. fruity, minerality, like yeah. incredibly complex spirits. So,
1: yeah, if we're going to focus on uh, Blanco tequilas, the way that I divide them in my brain for specific cocktails is highland versus lowland. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the highland is going to offer a lot more of that like floral ethereal and the lowland is going to be a lot more earthy and mineral driven. So for margaritas, I love a big fat. rich uh, lowland style tequila, like a, like a Fortaleza. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to have a, like my perfect Paloma would be Siete Leguas Mm -hmm. Blanco because it's that highland, you know, that light, Uh, more ethereal style and
0: I think they lend themselves really well to those Mm.
1: specific drinks
0: and it speaks to the serve of those drinks as well right in the flavor profiles so that's where you're going in terms of um yeah in terms of Blanco and tequila and you've also touched upon Reposado there too because I think that I'm with you I I really don't see much use for myself at least for you know extra Añejo or Añejos yeah but I do like that that you know, a subtle influence of vanilla. If it is from a reposado, and if it Absolutely. is genuine, right? Like yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, therefore, then, so maybe not. There's, there's no use for, in your mind, in this particular cocktail, you're, you're keeping the reposado. Out.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna generally avoid reposado for like super high acid mm-hmm. shaken style cocktails. Mm-hmm. It's, I just prefer the, the pure
0: vegetal mineral quality of a mm-hmm. blanco. And given that as well, we are taking a we're departing in this episode from mm-hmm. the classic, you know, tequila and squirt composition. Yes. So basically, right, we have we have a blank slate here. You talked about your blanco. Will you ever supplement with uh, a, a split base? You mentioned mezcal earlier because I'm thinking, you know, our initial conversation there talk about tequila only really having these two major cocktails. I mean, mezcal really doesn't have any it, proprietary isn't yeah. like,
1: you know there's what like uh What's the, the naked and famous Joaquin Simo's uh, yeah. like that, that is, but yeah, besides I mean, that,
0: that's a, that's a drink that I love by the way, yeah, it's but incredibly yeah. delicious, but definitely hasn't made it on the mainstream. You're not, no. you're not walking into any bar in New York and being like, Hey, can I get a naked and famous? Like they need to know. You can, style. I think in any
1: cocktail, like mm-hmm. if, if you walk into a place that calls itself a cocktail bar mm-hmm. and you see all the telltale signs, you know, like lots of cheater bottles and, yeah. uh, They could say that they have an ice program maybe. I think that those places can absolutely make you one Mm -hmm. because it's just one of those simple equal parts formulas. Uh, For those of you following along at home that maybe haven't had that drink, it's equal parts uh, mezcal, lime juice, Aperol, and yellow chartreuse. Yeah, Incredibly delicious. Just that three-quarter, 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 three-quarter that we all know and love.
0: Incredible formula. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is I'm a big proponent of, uh, salt in the drink, not salt on the drink. Yeah. Like I get people who like salt rims, but I would much rather, you know, you can add a pinch of salt if you want to be a little bit more, uh, precise and consistent with the level of salt that you're adding. I like to make a 20% saline solution. Mm -hmm. So just, you know. 20 grams of salt, 80 grams of water mm-hmm. dissolved together uh, in an eyedropper and five drops mm-hmm. of saline is I think the, the salt level that I'm looking for for most cocktails.
0: And that really speaks to, you know, kind of your experience, you know, working in some bar, some of the bars here that you worked in, Booker and Dax, existing conditions, to name a few that had very kind of culinary forward approach to cocktails. And it makes so much, makes so much sense to me, right? Like you're going to try and find balance in acidity, sweetness, and bitterness, and you're not going to think about salt. Like, why would you leave that out? You're seasoning the drink the same way you'd season food.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, if you, have unsalted food. It's basically inedible. Mm-hmm. So why not bump up the, the flavor profile of a mm-hmm. cocktail? You know, there, there's plenty of drinks that don't necessarily need, uh, right. Salt, you know, like Manhattan's old fashions, right? Like those dark spirited where the like rich vanilla, woody, caramelly, yeah. nutty, coconutty, like all those flavors are just going to blow it out. And it, it just doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, yeah basically anything with a light spirit or
0: anything with fruit i am salting and yeah we don't want to see the whole salt bay situation going on here or like we've spoken we've spoken about on the show before you know people pulling out the pepper mill and cracking it on before you've tasted the dish like taste it first yeah yeah absolutely but don't Mm -hmm. not consider it or yeah please consider it
1: (laughs) i think that i you know there's a lot of uh a lot of hate for the, the modern techniques in the some of the uh instagram cocktail meme accounts it's like just try the drink salted and unsalted yeah like don't and like yeah sure it, it can be a little you you see it as pretentious to say like saline on a menu but like just just try it yeah just do it and then
0: if you think that it's better without don't use it don't add yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's that simple it's so crazy and therefore to go back to that that idea of a split base then i guess um you know, in your in your ultimate situation here, are you going purely with Blanco? Or are you going Blanco with some mezcal? Sure. What would, be, what would I th- your choice I think
1: be? that personally, for for my ultimate Paloma, uh, I would go straight Blanco tequila. Yeah. That said, it there's a time and a place, mm-hmm. and you know, if I'm in Oaxaca, I'll drink it with mezcal, hundred yeah. percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I've had plenty of and made plenty of split-base Palomas uh, that are excellent. I think that a good ratio for most Blanco tequilas and most cocktail-priced Mezcals is one and a half uh, Blanco to half mezcal. Yeah. I think that's a nice ratio for like a lot of cocktails, specifically the Paloma, because it's so easy to have the mezcal right over the top of the other flavors. It can
0: so easily hijack the drink, right? Like when people Absolutely. make a mezcal mar- margarita and they're mm. using only mezcal, yeah. I think, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really there for it.
1: Uh, you know, and it, it, it depends on the mezcal. If you're, if you have a, a very specific example of a mezcal that yep. is, you know, more on the like Highland tequila side of things, like, uh, I went to Oaxaca with Del Maguey uh, a few years ago mm-hmm. and like you go up into the mountains and like the super high elevation, like Santo Domingo, Albaradas, uh, it's like those specific examples, like drinking that yes. mezcal off the still. And it's like, oh, this is so ethereal and light. And I would absolutely, you know, make a shaken citrusy cocktail with just that. Mm-hmm. But something like a chichicapa that's super, you know, lowland like all the way down in the valley that's so rich and fat,
0: you know, it it can dominate. Yeah. Fantastic. And then moving on from the base spirit then, uh, where would you like to go next? Would you like to go into, well, let, yeah, let's break down the, let's break down grapefruit because sure. that's, the, that's the other defining aspect yeah. of this drink. So grapefruit in this case should be fresh, mm-hmm.
1: should, you know, if you can't get, ruby red grapefruits. If you can't get like pink grapefruit, it's fine. If it's a white grapefruit, I think that the ruby reds from California are more delicious than the white grapefruits from Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a shame that, you know, we can't really grow citrus in the Northeast, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, yeah, I think that a fresh squeezed ruby red grapefruit. And I'd say if you are the best juices are going to come from more than one piece of fruit Mm -hmm. because you just get so much more consistency if one specific grapefruit is more sour or more sweet, you can normalize that by juicing, you know, a full quart of juice, worth of juice. Uh, That's why like, I I really respect a lot of the bars that do, uh, you know, juice to order. But I think that juice has kind of a sweet spot where if you make, you know, enough juice for a full service, it's peaking like two hours after you juiced it. Like it's, something settles about it and it's ideal in those circumstances Mm -hmm. so that's my personal feelings on fresh citrus juices is try not to make too much because you know try to make just as much as you need but make it all at once and marry it all together rather than juice fresh to order
0: that's a real good tip And one thing I'm wondering from the perspective of a pure enthusiast and home bartender is Mm -hmm. when I approach that grapefruit and I'm juicing it, um, I do do have one of those hand presses, you know, like a decent one. I'll typically cut it, what, into halves and then into quarters, but I just feel like there's some wastage there, or is there a better way? What should I be doing there? I mean, if you can if you're willing to invest yeah. in the the <laughs>
1: rauchon, the big like silver like stainless steel oh, and yeah. the, the a large hand juicer those are the best um you know outside of Azur, the ones that Azur, you
0: pull down it's kind of like a um, yeah it's um, like the big
1: lever arm they, Yeah. they look like they're made out of either like cast iron or stainless steel yeah uh the the french brand Rochand is my personal favorite Amazing. they're the ones that have the more like crank style where it like it's like you rotate the, yeah. the the lever arm a full 360 degrees i like the just you pull it from vertical to like uh horizontal basically mm-hmm. like a 90 degree movement mm-hmm. those are my
0: favorite oh I, man
1: i just got super fast with them because, they're so good
0: yeah. so when i lived in buenos aires uh, as a as a brief aside they would use those a lot and you would have guys going around the street with shopping carts and one of those juicers attached to them and the oh, shopping yeah. carts would just be full of like very ripe delicious oranges and you buy it for like a buck i mean it wasn't cold but it was the most refreshing thing ever yeah, they just it, like crank those it out doesn't need
1: to be cold no it's, it's yeah that fresh it's right so out good of the piece of fruit itself yeah totally. wonderful well i'm adding that to my shopping list yeah then. definitely uh, it, you know it's A little bit annoying to clean, but not that much more annoying. Mm -hmm. You just need to wipe the thing down, and then clean the the components. Come apart really easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're going to make a lot of juice at
0: home on like more than three occasions, then it's worth it. Yeah, I think awesome. So tequila, grapefruit. Where are we going next with this cocktail? Uh, Lime, same as grapefruit. Uh,
1: You know, juice it all juice everything that you need for the evening uh, that you can obviously use a hand juicer. And I do agree with you on grapefruit that if you don't have one of the large juicers to cut the whole thing in half and then cut the halves into quarters, it's yeah. the best route. Mm-hmm. You are going to lose some spraying out the side. Uh, so like just juice in a larger container than, you know, you think you need right, yeah, so yeah, that yeah. it captures some of that side spray and uh, strain your juices, mm-hmm. remove all those pithy, you know, right. bitter bits, at least most of them. You still want some of that pithiness.
0: Right. Some of that pulp as well, right?
1: Like yeah. I, there or... I, I like to take everything through a, a chinois or like a, a fine strainer. Okay. To just remove, you know, 99% of the pulp. Got it. I don't
0: necessarily want to chew. Uh, a cocktail. Right, yeah, I hear you there. And also, Mm. like, this being a highball, if you are drinking it with a straw and you get some pulp stuck in there, then it just, like, the whole thing's, Mm. you know, becomes very messy quickly.
1: That said, I'm not a huge fan of uh, double straining a finished cocktail. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that a Hawthorne strainer does the job well enough for me. Mm -hmm. But I'm also, 100% of the time, when it's available to me, shaking every cocktail on one two-inch cube. And OK, just shaking the hell out of it, like shaking it as hard as I possibly can, because the aeration is so much better. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the you know cube will explode mm-hmm. uh, in the tin and you'll end up with some fine shards of ice in the drink. But for the most part, the cube will maintain its structural integrity and you'll end up with a super well aerated drink that doesn't have a ton of fine shards of ice and has this beautiful, frothy, foamy head. And you don't need to kill that head. By double straining, you
0: can just use a Hawthorne strainer. Mm-hmm. Amazing, mm-hmm. and then so we're balancing this drink with sweetness and possibly saline. After yes. uh, you mentioned before that it could be could be simple, could be agave. What's your what's your preference there? Uh, I honestly,
1: in this circumstance, the the way that I choose between simple and agave is uh, if I want the sweetness to just like hit and then dissipate immediately. I'll use agave. Mm -hmm. If I want the sweetness to sort of linger on the palate, I'll use simple. But the grapefruit and lime combination, like lime, because it's uh, like a malic malic acid forward piece of fruit, the acidity lingers longer. Mm -hmm. And grapefruit is low acid compared to uh, lime. It's like 2% there's a lot of flavors that are lingering for a long time in the drink. The tequila is going to stick around. If you're using mezcal mezcal, that's absolutely going to stick around for a while. Uh, and I'm fine with the sweetness lingering, but if you want to cut the sweetness right away, you know, it, it really, in this circumstance, I am very happy either way. Mm-hmm. And I think just try both and decide what you like, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't. I don't care mm-hmm. in this circumstance.
0: And when it comes to agave, because if you're using other, you know, natural sweeteners, right, like honey or yeah. you know maple syrup, folks might be tempted to kind of cut that with some water, almost to make it, you know, easier to work with. But when you when you do buy most agave syrups, like they they tend to be, you know, slightly easier to to kind of to pour or whatnot. Like, yeah. are you are you diluting it at all, or are you just going straight up?
1: Syrup? I'm always diluting. I. Every syrup that I work with, I try and have it be fifty bricks. Okay, a lot of people really love. And so, when I say bricks, what I'm talking to talking about is uh, the amount of sugar by weight dissolved in a solution. So, one hundred bricks is pure sugar. uh, Zero bricks is pure water, and fifty bricks, which is my favorite uh, syrup for you know syrup strength for balancing, is equal parts by weight sugar and water, also known as simple syrup. Mm -hmm. So, I'm adjusting everything to 50 Mm -hmm. and there there's some equations to do that or you can just you know adjust with a refractometer uh that's a a machine that exists to measure bricks Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you're going to buy one for home make sure that you're getting one that measures between 15 and 85 there's some uh like wine like bricks refractometers that only go up to like 20 bricks because they're for measuring the bricks of grape juice in the field. Right. (laughs) And and there are some that are like honey refractometers that only measure between like 60 and 80. Right. And that's, it might be helpful for you in some cases, but for, for the most part you want that broad spectrum. So you can, you can really tell what, what the bricks is and something I have to say every time I talk about bricks, once you're adding alcohol or a bunch of acid powders or like whatever else, like you can't measure the bricks of a full complete cocktail because alcohol refracts light also sugar refracts light. And that's why it can tell you, you know, interesting on a refractometer, what, the the sweetness level is how much sugar is dissolved in it. But if there's a bunch of other stuff in there like alcohol, like acid, that's gonna throw off your reading.
0: So this is you're purely using this for your, your sweetening agent. Exactly. Right? And sweetness, simple syrup, agave, whatever it is, you know, sugar has this impact of affecting the texture of the overall drink and the weight of it. Absolutely. This approach that we're taking here today. Is this going to have an equal weight to the kind of tequila and, and soda, you know, like grapefruit soda approach or where do we come in there and how, do, how much are you thinking about that? So I'm, I'm
1: always thinking about body mm-hmm. when it comes to cocktails. Uh, obviously, the like tequila and grapefruit soda is going to be much lighter cocktail than something with, you know, juice and syrup added to it. You're going to cut that, you know, mitigate some of that richness with the, the club soda that you're going to finish the drink with. Um, but I, I like the fullness of, yep. yeah, what, what sugar lends to the drink. I think within reason, mm-hmm. what, in terms of balance that I'm thinking about here, I would say a half ounce of uh, syrup at 50 bricks, either agave or simple three quarters of an ounce of lime juice. So, you know already skewing more acid forward, mm-hmm. but then bringing that back into a- acid sweet balance with a full ounce of grapefruit juice. Okay. And then two ounces of spirit.
0: Two ounces Either of split
1: one and a half, half tequila mezcal or just
0: straight two ounces of tequila mm-hmm.
1: with five drops of a 20% saline mm-hmm. solution.
0: And then final component of the drink, we're going to top this up with sparkling water. Yeah. Um, we're gonna go slightly even deeper on this in, in a little while, but just in terms of like this preparation, um, what are you thinking about there? We've spoken about saline. Um, this this might also crop up, but are you opting for like bona fide sparkling mineral waters that have dissolved solids that have you know sodium content and other minerals in there? You know, are you looking to that, or are you just looking? Maybe are you focusing more on bubbles? What are you? prioritizing I'm absolutely prioritizing
1: bubbles mm-hmm. in this circumstance uh so a, a small bottle of club soda or like back in the existing conditions days we had viciously carbonated water out of a gun mm-hmm. so you could use that uh but yeah just maximum carbonation because you've already lost so much of the opportunity for carbonation with all of these ingredients that aren't carbonated mm-hmm. i think the the real star of the show in the, the one in one style of tequila, grapefruit, soda Paloma is the bubbles Mm -hmm. is that they're very prominent. Uh, and that's the thing that's lacking the most in the, you know, classic cocktail bar style Paloma is that, you know, and it it, honestly, it's only going to end up being an ounce or so of club soda that you're able to fit in the glass. It's already kind of a large build, you know, it's what a four ounce build on this drink. Right. And, if you're gonna shake something that's already four ounces, you're looking at, you know, six ounces all day in the tin before you strain over ice in a glass. So this is a big juicy drink that is, you know, you you've got like a, a 10, 12 ounce collins full of ice. You can only fit to have a reasonable wash line. And if you're gonna add a, you know, like a grapefruit slice as a garnish, you're really only looking at an ounce of Mm-hmm. bubbles that you can add to it. So it should be as ripping carbonated as possible.
0: So to achieve that, you're saying you're buying smaller bottles because, you know, they're going to like... Use they, them they, faster. You're yeah. using them faster, but they're maintaining their... Yeah. Is there any other way? Like if I have... Say, for example, if I have like a soda stream, I don't know this. I do have a soda stream, yeah. but like can I pump more gas into that like the normal or like is the that just... Soda streams are going to get as carbonated as they can get.
1: Yeah. I would say that, you know, just refresh the carbonation before each, uh, top off. If you want to build a carbonation rig at home, uh, you can Google my name and, uh, carbonation. (laughs) I've written a fairly comprehensive article about how to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, but water as close to freezing without being ice as possible, Uh, carbonated three times at 60 PSI is going to be the ideal drinking water. Mm -hmm. The real best case scenario for just straight up water that you, that I've ever had was that same level of uh, intensity of carbonation, but it was split between uh, it was 85% CO2 and 15% nitrous. Okay. So if you taste pure nitrous carbonated water, uh, I guess it's not carbonated; it's nitrogenated. Yeah. Uh, pure nitrous water, pure NO two dissolved in water. It almost tastes sweet, like it tastes really? like stevia. It's it. It's a total like it. It breaks your brain a little bit, mm. and the bubbles are like microscopic. Interesting. You know, it's not that big, ripping carbonated. You think of like opening a fresh can of
0: because carbonated water is uh, lands acidic leaning, right or not. I believe yes, it does. It does, right? Yeah. I think I think the, the the combination of whatever carbon dioxide with dissolved in water. I think it is so interesting. Therefore, so you talked us through the process there and also the ratios and the build. Um, one other thing that I wanted to explore, we've spoken about glassware there, right? You're going yeah. for you're going for a Collins glass. Yeah, this right? is going in a highball. Cold for sure. Collins glass. Yeah. Um, ice because we spoke there about the, the importance of that carbonation. And I think one thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that ice is killing the bubbles. Exactly. Talk us through that.
1: Sure. Uh, This is actually something that we like got in huge arguments about opening existing conditions because back in the Booker and Dax days, we had a whole carbonated program on the menu and they were all served, you know, some could say to the detriment of the rest of the drink but in a pure carbonation standpoint we serve it in the ideal vessel which is a champagne flute mm-hmm. because it's 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 the best vessel to preserve the carbonation because there's the lowest surface area on the top of the drink where co2 can escape mm-hmm. so we wanted to be a little bit friendlier to the general drinking public, <laughs> which is was a crazy concept for Dave to wrap his head around. But Don Lee, who is, you know, such a genius, is like, no, Dave, we have to serve this, serve these carbonated drinks in a Collins glass with mm-hmm. ice because it's what people expect. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, Dave acquiesced. And we ended up going
0: that route. Mm-hmm. Dave Arnold and Don Lee being the yes. co-founders there of, of, Booker Exist, and Dad. Uh, yeah. of existing
1: conditions. It was mm-hmm. just Dave at Booker and Dad. Okay. And then Don was the partner at existing
0: conditions. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tell us why that's happening. Why is ice killing carbonation?
1: Sure. So it all comes down to, uh, you know, when you put Mentos in diet Coke mm-hmm. and it explodes I've seen the videos. Yeah, it's it's the same idea. It's uh, what's causing that is microscopic little like pits on the surface of the mento, uh, which are called nucleation sites. Mm-hmm. And what a nucleation site is is a place where uh, CO two, like a, a molecule of CO two, can attach and then break itself free from the solution. Mm-hmm. And ice is covered in pits and pockmarks and you know nicks and dings and they're all places where uh co2 can escape mm-hmm. if you have a you know like an erlenmeyer flask that's been analytically cl- like chemically cleaned and there's no dust and no surface uh pitting at all it's like a brand new uh scientifically cleaned flask <laughs> and you pour carbonated water into it there will be no you will have no idea that
0: it's carbonated. It's incre- it won't move it, at all. It's yeah. crazy, right? But I guess, you know, like, that's why you think about it when you pick up one of these bottles from the supermarket. Like, for the most part, right, you're you're not seeing the bubbles in there. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Because they're dissolved into the, they're, they're in the solution.
1: Mm-hmm. So the thing that you can do to add ice to a drink but mitigate uh, the amount of, Uh, nucleation sites and amount of carbonation loss is is minimize the amount of available surface area Mm -hmm. and the best way to do
0: that is to use one big cube one big cube so
1: a spear in a collins Mm. glass
0: is the best case scenario Mm. and obviously clear ice looks more attractive in this respect are there any other advantages of that it it looks looks beautiful Yeah. yeah Because there's 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 some some form of wastage there when it does come to making it, or you know, I mean, you yeah. here in New York City. There's some wonderful purveyors of sure. clear ice that will make it to, to order, right? Yeah,
1: you. you know, if you if you've got uh, some extra cash lying around, uh, Okamoto or Hundredweight, yeah, absolutely, make a big ice order. It's yeah. so much fun to have those big cubes around.
0: Yeah, and we had uh, Eric Alperin on from the West Coast there yeah. doing doing the fine work on the ice front, uh, also, um, amazing. So standard garnish you mentioned maybe um some kind of fresh grapefruit would do you prefer fresh or do you what's your feeling there
1: i'm i'm really not a huge garnish guy Mm -hmm. uh having worked you know primarily at booker and dax in existing conditions which were basically almost entirely garnish free Mm -hmm. uh for the most part so i i can go either way i'm i'm happy with uh you know a ha you know, like a half of a grapefruit wheel like artfully slid into the glass. I'm happy with a dried piece of grapefruit. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with a lime wedge. Mm-hmm. you know any any piece of fruit is is fine. I think mm-hmm. grapefruit and lime are the the places to go i'm mm-hmm. I'm generally for a long time, I was vehemently. Anti-wheel Because Oh it serves no function In the drink You can't squeeze juice Out of that It's useless And I've since uh, Lightened up quite a bit I think there's no one More dogmatic Than the Like new fresh green bartender yeah who just learned these rules and they need to be executed to a t (laughs) and i was that person uh for a long time and i've since softened with age and you know if it looks pretty put it in the drink it's fine you know people
0: want to take photos as well like let's be honest people want to gram their drinks it's
1: good for your bar
0: program if people are taking pictures of things that are pretty great point um One final thing we didn't touch on actually would be um, salted rim. Is there any place for it in this drink or not? Sure. I mean, I, I spoke about it
1: a little bit that I prefer to salt the drink rather than the glassware. Uh, And that's true for me for, for all drinks, but I, I love a salted rim on a margarita and a Mm -hmm. Paloma from time to time. If I want that, you know, like big lick of salt. Um, It's just a personal preference thing. And if uh, a guest at, my bar or, you know, in my home, ask me for a margarita or Paloma, I would always ask, Mm -hmm. do you want a salted rim? Do you want me to salt the drink? You know, you can have a a conversation with Mm -hmm. with a guest if if it's not busy. uh, And if it is busy, just say uh, salted rim and (laughs) and find out quick and then execute quickly.
0: (laughs) Very easy. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's a wonderful overview of the Paloma there. All the things that you can do to actually kind of match or build upon a formula that's so simple. Um, I was wondering, though, can you take us to the next step? Because I know that existing conditions, one of one of your most popular cocktails that you had was the Saratoga Paloma. Yes. Our our best selling drink was a Paloma. Amazing. Tell us about that because that takes it to the next level. Yeah.
1: So the what our version of the Paloma did at existing conditions was take the good things about the fresh juice Paloma and the good things about the, you know, one in one Paloma and marry them together. Mm -hmm. So it was clarified grapefruit juice Mm -hmm. and, uh, tequila and dilution. And, uh, all of that was married together, uh, super chilled, almost to the point of freezing carbonated three times, uh, and then poured into a glass into a ice filled highball and topped with uh, clarified lime juice. Mm-hmm. because we were making big batches and freezing it. and the grapefruit, the clarified grapefruit keeps really well, but mm-hmm. the uh, clarified lime juice has a much shorter shelf life. So we would add that to order just to mitigate the, you know, okay, amount of times we would have to batch. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was crazy about this drink, was what we were using for dilution, mm-hmm. so it was called the Saratoga Paloma, uh, because Dave Arnold, you know, for for people who have interacted with him, you understand he is uh, he is an expert in a surprising array of fields. <laughs> if he wants to know something like anything about a subject, he wants to know everything about the subject. Mm-hmm. So he went super in depth into mineral waters. Yep. And we took this trip up to, uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, which is a a state park in, in New York state. It's like three and a half hours North of the city that has, I think it's 19 different, uh, naturally occurring mineral Springs. Nice. Like some of them, there's one that literally like is a geyser out of the ground. And some of them have been, uh, drilled and plumbed and, there's one specific uh, spring, Hathorne number three, that is so insanely salty and mineral driven. Yeah. Like you, you basically, it's undrinkable without being diluted.
0: Do you it's, know the TDS count on that for, for water geeks out there? Or... I, I do not know, the, <laughs> I should look that up, it's, it's. But like saltier so than anything you'll yeah. get in a store. Like the most would be what Vichy Catalan or and Vichy Catalan
1: Tastes like Evian compared to <laughs> you know it's it's like it's like Dasani. There's nothing happening in Vichy Catalan compared to most of the waters coming out of the ground in Saratoga. Uh, wow. That said, if you see those blue bottles of yep. Saratoga Springs water and Saratoga Springs sparkling water, it's bullshit don't like it's sure. It's a fine water and sparkling water, but that's water from the water table. It's just well water. It's not the special water coming from the mineral springs. Wow. So what we would do at the bar is we took a whole car load, like 10 corny kegs and brought uh, a portable CO2 rig so that we could <laughs> bottle the water directly from the spring and then keep it carbonated in the keg because if you let it just sit un un uh, carbonated, like if you don't purge all the oxygen,
0: the minerals will fall out of solution. Okay, so it had to stay carbonated the mm-hmm. whole time. So you were carbonating that because I'd read somewhere before that it was coming out naturally carbonated. It's coming
1: out naturally carbonated. Yeah. but very mildly. Right. And if you didn't charge it with additional CO two, it's gonna lose that that uh, the minerals They're Got gonna it. fall out, and you end up with uh, the bottom of a corny keg that's covered in like red brown sediment. Right, which is crazy because it was clear water, you know, very that recently.
0: That is crazy. So that's amazing so that's that's the water component there um if i'm going to play the role of someone kind of like sat at your bar back in the day ordering this drink Mm -hmm. i guess one of the first questions i'm going to ask is why are we clarifying the grapefruit and the lime sure uh it again goes back to
1: carbonation the same way that there's nucleation sites that are killing carbonation on the ice cubes every little bit of uh, solid matter mm-hmm. in any of your juices the like pithiness the the stuff that floats in the juice that makes it cloudy yep, is all nucleation sites so that's going to kill your carbonation immediately and if you try and carbonate either in a soda stream or in a like a co2 rig like we used at the bar if you try and carbonate something with cloudy juice in one of those it's going to foam like crazy and you're going to ruin your kitchen. Essentially. Got it. It's just going to spray everywhere. It's a complete nightmare. Anything with a lot of nucleation sites is a terrible candidate for carbonation. But if you clarify that juice, you know, we did centrifuge clarification because, you know, Dave, before he created the spins, all we used the big, you know, two liters at a time, swinging bucket, mm. medical monstrosities <laughs> that are so scary. Uh, but
0: yeah, so if folks listening didn't get the picture right now, like Dave is an inventor, right? Like yeah. I think his most recent thing that I've seen him doing, he's like, he's trying to get this flamethrower essentially project off the oh, ground. The, the All 2.0. Yeah, the all is amazing. It's
1: essentially uh, a conical attachment for the end of a blowtorch that turns that (laughs) narrow point of flame Mm -hmm. uh, into essentially like a a broiler that you can hold in your hand. Mm -hmm. So you can sear sous vide meats, Mm -hmm. you can toast cheese on top of things on the fly. It's an incredible tailgating uh, (laughs) cooking attachment
0: (laughs) uh, and just a really wonderful kitchen Mm -hmm. tool. So Dave definitely sounds like, and it sounds like you were too, like especially in your early part of your career, like one of those folks that would start focusing on something a challenge and then being like, okay, what's everything we can do to overcome this challenge. Yes. And in this drink, it sounds like it was carbonation. Yeah. So I think my, my follow up here, myself sat at this bar ordering this Paloma is like, why is carbonation so important? If you ask Dave that he would look at you with a puzzled
1: look and be like, why is water wet? <laughs> like carbonation is just one of those things that if you care about it, it matters. Yeah. And if you don't, it doesn't. And we believe that it matters mm-hmm. and that having the most carbonation in a drink is the best way to enjoy mm-hmm. a carbonated drink. You know, you have, why would you ever not want to do the best job if you had the the techniques and the technology available to you? Wouldn't you want to make the most delicious and refreshing version mm-hmm.
0: of any drink? So, such a great point there. And I think like, I would just say too, as, as, as an observer and an enthusiast, like a great rebuttal to sometimes where people could ask those very same questions that I'm asking, right? Like, sure, or actually they probably wouldn't ask them. They'd be like, oh, look at these guys. Maybe they're clarifying grapefruit. Like, what's the point? Well, there is a point and you're doing it with a purpose and with intention.
1: All of our technique driven things were done intentionally. Mm Mm-hmm. We never did anything for the sake of doing it. Yeah. We did things because we believed in the techniques and believed in the results in in the drinks. And mm-hmm. I I truly believe that the drinks at existing conditions spoke for spoke for themselves. We had an incredible team mm-hmm. of really brilliant bartenders who made excellent cocktails and they happened to utilize these techniques. And the what I would always come back to, uh, when I talked to Dave about it is, you know, we didn't think that our drinks were better than everybody else's drinks or that our techniques were the right way to do everything. We did drinks this way because we thought they were delicious. And we also thought that, you know, every other high quality cocktail bar in the city was making delicious drinks, but they were all doing drinks in that same style of, you know, fresh juices, syrups that were made, you know, handmade, everything made Mm -hmm. in house, all of that. Uh, but very traditional styles of cocktails. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to be the place that you could go when you wanted something different. Yep. And these other bars were doing such a good job Mm -hmm. with that style of drink. We didn't want to step on anybody's toes. Mm -hmm. We were going to do the, the modern style cocktails that
0: we cared about. Amazing. And I think one of the things that occurred to me as well when I was hearing you talking about carbonation specifically that ties in is... It relates to that idea of um, when you do go down that rabbit hole of mineral water and you start assessing the different levels of minerals in water and start tasting them, like, it's a thing, it's real. Once you go down that route, you can never, that's not something you can unsee or untaste, right? It's with you for the rest of your life.
1: I completely understand. It's it's the same with these modern drinks. You know, once you, you have these sort of like, poorly carbonated examples of these cocktails, it's like, you know, why would you want to have a drink where every component wasn't carbonated?
0: Mm -hmm. Like... If it's a carbonated drink. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Like, add the spirit to the other components and then carbonate the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then there's bubbles in the tequila, too. Yeah. Like, it's... If you want it carbonated, make it carbonated.
0: Yeah. I love... uh, this is right. I mean, it sounds like a lot of the equipment is out of reach for myself at home, but I'd love doing those kind of experiments yeah, where it's absolutely. like you focus on one thing and you just try and do everything you can to to really maximize it. It's amazing. Um, well, Jack, that's been a wonderful run through of the Paloma. And also I think for so many folks, I, I hope a ton of listeners got to try the Saratoga Paloma. If not, I think they'll just be able to appreciate what an incredible drink it was from hearing the, the backstory there. Any final thoughts on the Paloma for you though? Drink them. Just mm-hmm.
1: it's a great drink. Mm-hmm. Order it as often as you would a margarita. you mm-hmm. know just have it in your roster of cocktails to enjoy at bars or at home mm-hmm.
0: And don't forget about it. Wonderful. So now we are gonna we are gonna skip into our final section of the show which allows us to get to know our guests a little bit more um, and and our five recurring questions how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Let's do it. Wonderful. So question one, number one, and this, this can always be slightly hypothetical, um, whether it's kind of like in your ideal bar or, or bars that you've worked at before, but what is the style or category of spirit that typically enjoys the most real estate there for you? Sure. Uh,
1: I sort of, it's a a cop-out because it's such a broad category, but I like to go to bars where the spirits uh, exhibit terroir really well. (laughs) Um, So I think that in my personal home bar, the spirits that I am the most excited about and take up the most real estate are uh, Rum Agricole and uh, Mezcal. Mm -hmm. So those are like the the two. Mm Mm-hmm if there's a specific back bar that I'm thinking about, cause every bar that I've ever worked at has now closed permanently. Mm-hmm. I've only ever worked at three bars, Booker mm-hmm. and Dax, uh, existing conditions and the nomad in New York, mm-hmm. and they're all gone forever. Uh, so, you know, may they rest in peace, but mm-hmm. I don't have a professional back bar to look at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the one back bar in the city that I, have so much respect for and love to go and just like taste through is uh, at night moves, Mm -hmm. which is attached to the four horsemen in Williamsburg. So like wine bar with this like sort of like dance club concept, but Orlando who does the cocktail program there and also does the spirits buying has put together the most incredible eclectic list of rum and agave spirits and Armagnac and like all of these wonderful one, Eau de vie, all oh this God. stuff that's so delicious that I care about the most, mm. and it's so well curated, and he's so low key about it. It's just <laughs> it's my favorite place to drink right now. Amazing,
0: so. and I think there's a conversation in in drinks media, right? The side that I'm on, there's often this conversation of like, do consumers actually care? You know, like consumers, what yeah. is a consumer? But like broad scale, mm. do they care about terroir? You could argue, but when it comes to bartenders, especially at the, the top of their game, absolutely yeah. right. We hear that time and time again on this mm-hmm. show.
1: I think that it hasn't broken into the mainstream mm-hmm. yet. But for people who who really care about what they drink, I think that it has to be at least a part of the conversation.
0: Yeah. Question number two. Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Oh, man. So the... like.
1: Ridiculous, super high concept science answer is uh liquid nitrogen. It's <laughs> such a cool tool for bars that I think that like I'm not telling you to find liquid nitrogen and make drinks at home with it. Don't do that. You could kill yourself or your guests or your friends or your loved ones. Don't. There's so many steps to safety but uh, just from like instantly taking a glass from room temp to perfectly chilled in seconds or freezing herbs to then muddle into a powder and then build the drink, you know, dumping off the excess nitrogen. You're never serving a guest liquid nitrogen ever. Uh, that's the, I I'm legally obliged to say those things out Mm -hmm. loud, if there's nitrogen floating on top of the drink, don't run it to a guest, dump it in a sink. Mm -hmm. Uh, that said, you can use it to freeze herbs completely solid. They shatter like glass under a muddler mm-hmm. into a super fine powder. You can add the spirit to that. It's gonna gonna extract all the color and flavor. Build the rest of the drink on top of it. Shake it. That you definitely want to double strain to remove the the fine bits of herbs, and you will have the uh, most clear and precise herb-driven cocktail that you've ever tasted. Amazing! It's so such an incredible tool. Uh, and beyond that, geez, what was the question even? I just got so
0: excited about liquid <laughs> nitrogen. <laughs> Undervalued tool or ingredient. Ah. But I'll say this. I do love how that ties back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about when it comes to existing conditions as like, again, this is not, you're not using it for, for show or theater. This is with intention that you're oh, talking about Oh, it's because this. It, it happened to be
1: showy and th- theatrical, which is a happy aside, but even if we looked like idiots doing it, uh, we would have still used the technique because it made the most delicious herb driven cocktails. Uh, I think that the other, uh, underutilized ingredient, we've talked about it a lot today is, is salt in drinks. Mm-hmm. Just try it. Go out salt there. Salt drinks. Yeah. Not
0: that 20%, one part salt, four parts water.
1: Exactly. And five drops in a drink. It just opens the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. Give it a
0: try don't knock it till you tried it. Cause I know a lot of you are <laughs> question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received in this industry? I
1: think that the most important thing that I learned both from like my first managers at Booker and Dax, uh, who is this wonderful bartender, Mara McGuigan, uh, And from Dave as well, is that no matter how much math and science you've done and like how how you've calculated this cocktail should taste like this, if you taste it and it's wrong, fix it. Like the most important tool isn't the refractometer or a scale to make, you know, 50 brick syrups. The most important tool is your tongue. Mm -hmm. And if it tastes wrong, adjust it. You know, at the end of the day a lot of people like to say that bartending is more like baking than cooking where the precise measurements are so important. And I completely agree with that, but you need to be able to tell if you know, your lime juice is off for the day and use a little more because it's a little under acidic, you know, just taste, 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 mm-hmm. taste every component of every drink at least once throughout the night. Try and taste, you know, have a a system where you can rotate the stainless steel drinking straws. So you're not throwing out thousands of plastic straws, but taste. When I, when I started bartending, I tasted every single drink I made for the first, at least a year. Mm -hmm. It was just straw taste. That's right. Send it. And I think that's so important and gets lost on a lot of people, especially when they start bartending Mm -hmm. is that the way to get good at tasting and become a good taster is to just keep on tasting yeah. So taste everything, and a, a very niche piece of advice that I think is also important uh, I learned from John DeBerry, who's also a wonderful bartender and human being. Uh, if you're going to appear on camera with close-up shots of you making drinks, uh, you can do it yourself, but either professionally or at home, get a manicure. Nice. Make your make the nails look good. Yeah. It's so important.
0: Yeah. Because oftentimes, yeah, your, your head might be getting cut out of that or whatever. There's going to yeah. be the close-ups. Exactly.
1: The close-ups are going to be on your fingers, not necessarily your face. It doesn't matter how beautiful your face is <laughs> in the cocktail video when they see your grubby fingernails.
0: Yeah. Wonderful piece of advice there. Definitely the first time we've had that one. Thank you. And thank you, John DeBarry. Uh, question number four here. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, can be past or present, uh, what would it be?
1: Oh, if it can be past, then it's definitely I'd go back in time and go to Booker and Dax again. Mm-hmm. And I would like keep some memorabilia, like some, <laughs> I don't have any menus or anything. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. I would I would definitely take some menus from from BDX and I would, you know, spend way too long drinking through the, the whole menu and eat
0: a bunch of country ham. Mm-hmm. You know, some folks do come on here and, and they almost feel kind of a little bit embarrassed to talk about bars in, in the frame of that question, bars that they've worked at yeah. or bars that they own and run. But I'm like, no, man, like if that's, if that's the one for you, that's, that's amazing. That's special. Well,
1: part of the thing. I'm not that's, saying you should yeah, yeah, be, yeah, by no, the way. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Of course. No, 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 no. I, I understand. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit smelling your own farts, uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't be going to drink the drinks that I came up mm. with. I'd be going to drink The rest, like there was a drink on the menu at uh, Booker Index called the Hatchback Mm -hmm. that was uh, clarified grapefruit, clarified lime, Campari, tequila, carbonated, Mm -hmm. you know, very Paloma territory, but also with that bitterness from Campari. And it was just so delicious. Mm -hmm. It's just such a good drink and such a smart drink. And one that I could drink like an infinite quantity of, yeah, or like the chartreuse that was we're I'm focused on clarified stuff and carbonated stuff. But that was just green chartreuse and dilution, carbonated uh, with a little bit of salt and some clarified lime. Oh my god, so good! We did bring that back at existing conditions, uh, and we we did it with VEP yellow chartreuse. And that Ooh. might be the best cocktail I've ever tasted in my entire life. Oh my Just God. carbonated V.P. yellow
0: with some clarified lime to balance it is insane. Wonderful. Yeah. Final question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make?
1: I would make myself a two to one, Tanqueray 10 and Dolan Dry vermouth. Martini with two dashes of, uh, Regan's orange bitters up with a lemon twist, Amazing, cold, pristine. Like that's, I don't want to say it's the desert Island cocktail, because if I was literally on a desert Island, it wouldn't be a Martini. It would be something different. Yeah. Uh, but that is like my
0: deathbed cocktail. It's Mm -hmm. just a pristine Martini. Mm Mm-hmm. Amazing, I'm I'm right there with you, and many of our guests have been too. It's just it's just it's, a perfect it, drink. It, it is. is so good. <laughs> well, Jack, thank you so much for your time today. Of I've had so did. much thank fun you. exploring the the Paloma. Uh, we'll see if our producer can get us some butterfly now to play <laughs> out as we leave as we soar off. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news every single episode of vine Pairs cocktail college is also published on Vinepair.com as a transcript so you can check it out there all over again also if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts whether that's apple spotify or stitcher and please tell your friends now for the credits cocktail college is recorded and produced in new york city by myself and keith beavers vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru of course i want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the vinepair team too many awesome people to mention they know who they are but i want to give some credit here to Danielle grinberg art director at vinepair for designing the awesome show logo and listen to that music that's a darby seaside original